Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Many curlers started when they were kids. How did they discover the sport? And why did they stick with it? This is a series where we talk to current and former competitive curlers to answer those questions. In today's episode, we speak to Sabrina Rebo. Sabrina Rebo is a competitive curler who grew up in Oakville, Ontario, and is currently a member of the Portuguese mixed curling team. In this interview, recorded in July 2021, we talk about her dad's introduction to the sport and how that led her and her siblings to join the junior program at their local club. We discuss the fine art of coaching kids and why she enjoys it. Finally, we talk about her experience representing Team Portugal and being a part of a national mixed curling team with their family. Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I like to go right back to the beginning and mm-hmm. ask my guests, where are you from and what was it like growing up there? Yeah, so I'm from Oakville, Ontario, um, and it was a really lovely place to grow up. I was really fortunate to be able to play a lot of sports growing up, um, curling being one of them. I had a lot of opportunities, uh, for which I'm pretty thankful that have kind of led me to have the opportunities that I've had now, like representing Portugal. So it's been, it, it's, it's been good. It was a really nice upbringing and it's, yeah, it's benefited me a lot. So I'm thankful. What other kinds of sports and activities did you play as a kid? I play just about all of them. Um, <laughs> when I, when I was a kid, like younger, I did, you know, swimming lessons and whatnot. Um, played soccer. I played rep soccer for a couple of seasons for the Oakville soccer club. Um, I did Taekwondo for, um, 12, 13 years and have a third degree black belt. I played oh, wow. rugby through high school, uh, field hockey, curling, obviously. Um, yeah, I just kind of really enjoy all sports. So, <laughs> wow. A black belt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, nowadays it's kind of just like my little fun fact, <laughs> when <he eats> like <laughs> two trips and a lie kind of a game. Um, but yeah, no, that took up, uh, I mean, as you can imagine, probably a good um, piece of time in order to kind of do that at the same time as all the other ones. But no, it was it was nice. Now, getting to the curling, of course, uh, can you just start at the beginning? Tell me, how did you first become involved in curling? Yeah, so my story is a little bit different than I know of a lot of others. A lot of curlers, especially in Canada, are multi-generational, like their parents and their grandparents curled and they just kind of get into the sport by default. Uh, my, in my case, um, my dad, uh, saw an open, saw an ad in the paper for a free open house at the Oakville curling club and thought, Hey, you know, that could be a nice way to spend a couple hours on a weekend with my kids, uh, keep them busy. And, uh, we liked it and we haven't really stopped curling since. Yeah. Do you remember your first time at the club? I remember bits and pieces of it. I was six, seven years old. Um, but I remember standing on the backboards at Oakville Curling Club 
And Oakville's quite a large club. It's an eight-sheet rink, and it's got quite a large kind of roof on it. And I just remember thinking how large the ice surface was, because at the time I'd only ever played kind of outdoor, um, you know, soccer kind of sports. Um, And I just remember thinking that it was, like, really interesting and really new, really, because we, we didn't watch curling at home. It was a completely new environment for me and my siblings at the time. So you had no idea what curling was? None. Absolutely none. (laughs) We watched many sports and that was not, uh, that wasn't one of the ones that we, uh, we watched as kids growing up. No, and not until we started curling. I believe you joined, you you joined the junior program. uh, And this was with your sister and your brother. Yes. Yeah. I joined their uh, little rocks program. Yeah. Do you remember those moments, your first years as a, as a curler in those youth programs? What, uh, what was fun about it? I, just remember having so much fun. One of the things that I found the most fun with that Little Rocks program was, to be honest with you, the friendships I made with the other people in the program. I'm still friends with a lot of them to this day. And just kind of the way that they were able to focus on both fun and learning while still being able to kind of foster a competitive atmosphere where you can kind of grow enough to go out and compete outside of the program. Uh, It's just something that I think was really great. And it's something that I remember really fondly about the, the little rocks bantam program there. Well, Sabrina, could you tell us a bit about your experience in the junior program, the little rocks program and and what, uh, what was it like? It sounded like it was a full program. Yeah, Oakville, uh, as I mentioned, is an an eight-sheeter club, and their Little Rocks program often was full every week. Um, At the end of the kind of two-hour session of the program, we'd play games, and every sheet had a you know four or five-man even game going. Uh, So it was definitely a healthy, active uh, Little Rocks program, which I think is something that honestly really helped contribute to the growth because you got to really work with and play against other, a wide range of uh, athletes at the time. Do you remember some of those early coaches, the people that uh, taught you the sport and maybe got you to, you know, see this sport as something that was something you might consider doing later? Yeah, uh, definitely. There were a couple kind of right off the top of my head, like um, Hugh and Janet Murphy uh, were kind of our main coaches until we were about maybe 11, 12, 13 years old. And then uh, there's a couple of local ones as well, like uh, Chris Reinfeld and then uh, another one, his name's Jamie Sprout as well. And there are so many really great coaches who really had quite a big impact on my growth as not only a curler, but honestly as a person as well. So I'm really thankful for a lot of those coaches. Is, is there any specific moment you can remember working with them, uh, an aha moment or something that even surprised yourself? I don't know if there's an aha moment. However, I, I, I kind of remember a mixture of the competitive moments with them. Like before games, he would say to us, don't miss any of your shots, damn it. And then we'd go up <laughs> on the ice. It was just, okay. It's just so funny. Yeah, it's just it's just something that he would say to us before we hit the ice, <laughs> and you know, like he, you know, he wasn't wrong, uh, but it was just kind of light, but also you know, realistically, if you can like, come all, you're okay. Um, and then, yeah, like in terms of like in practice and stuff, it was a mixture of the 
fun, like being, you know, dragged up the ice by a broom while you're in the slide position to see if right. you can, you know, hold it all the way, like more of the technical, <laughs> I guess, pieces. And then, yeah, just kind of a mixture of the off ice, on ice um, relationships. Are there any athletes or uh, not necessarily curling athletes? Were there any athletes you looked up to? Yeah, definitely. Um, be, because I did watch so many sports, no, not all of my kind of sporting heroes were curlers, uh, but definitely at the time I was coming up uh, in the sport, like um, Jennifer Jones was a huge one, Mark Kennedy. I was left-handed and ended up playing second, so that was a pretty natural fit there for me. And then there's a bunch of other ones like um, Serena Williams, Adam Vancouverden. Um, a handful of even like track and athletics athletes who even like some of the divers um, really just a wide range of athletes that I just looked up to for different reasons. In a previous conversation, we talked about your first time spawn spieling. Mm-hmm. And I, I was wondering, do you remember maybe even the first time you traveled outside your club for a bond spiel? Yes. Uh, I believe the first club I went to outside of my home club was Grimsby and Grimsby is quite a small club. So to me, that was interesting because I was just so used to Oakville and (laughs) realizing that not every club was Oakville (laughs) uh, was something that was kind of interesting. And it was, I think it was experiences like that, that kind of show you or at least showed me personally the benefit to getting out of your home club and kind of, even if it's, you know, small recreational bond spiel, just the benefit to getting out and playing in different, you know, clubs, venues, different ice conditions, different, even just different lounges, you know, having one that's above the ice versus ice level, right? right? There's different pieces. Um, yeah, I do remember, I remember thinking it was small <laughs> compared to, which was different though. And it was kind of nice at the same time because it was just a different, atmosphere you know when you're a kid um you can go talk to your friend (laughs) two sheets over and uh you can hear them no problem because there's only you know four other (laughs) sheets going on right Um, but yeah no I, i do remember it now you were curling in the same program with your sister and your brother i'm just curious about i guess sibling dynamics was it positive negative neutral to have your siblings with you in that program it was, I would probably say neutral, um, being kids and we were all fairly competitive. Um, there were definitely like, we are siblings, uh, and there were definitely moments where it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows, um, playing with each other, competing against one another. But I think, uh, the benefit to kind of being around your siblings all the time is you kind of have that kind of built-in competition to kind of push yourself to constantly do better. So I think right. that's kind of one of the positive aspects to it. D- did you curl with them uh, in a, even in a competitive setting? I curled with my sister uh, right through till uh, first year of university competitively. Well, I guess that uh, leads us to the competitive side of it. Uh, a, a, a lot of young kids become, you know, bantam and junior curlers. At least that's what they used to call those age mm-hmm. groups. And <laughs> they compete in, you know, outside bond spiels and zones and those kind of competitions. Talk about a bit about what made you decide to turn competitive. And uh, yeah, was it a specific instance or yeah, what, what made you decide to 
be more serious about the sport? Yeah, I feel that personally. Um, one of the things that I just really enjoyed about curling, it really was um, both the social aspect of the game. Um, I, I really like the camaraderie and friendship between not only teammates, but honestly also between opponents as well. You really get to know the people you play against all the time. And that's something that I came to really enjoy every weekend competing. Um, and then a couple other pieces are the longevity of the sport. You can curl, you know, there's a couple of people who are, you know, 98 years old curling, right? So there's that longevity piece. That's really nice knowing that. And there's different, you know, um, modalities now as well that you can compete in. And so I think that's something I really enjoyed. And then just the challenge that I like the variety of curling itself. It's not just a physical game. It's not just a mental game. It has a nice mix of skills, finesse, physicality. It has a really nice blend. And I think that's something that I ultimately um, was drawn to when I kind of made that decision at about 15 or so to really kind of focus in on curling. I guess I'll just ask this in a general sense. I mean, obviously you decided to stay with the sport. And we'll talk about this further at the end, but yeah, I think you've, you know what, now that I think about it, you've already mentioned it, that it it seems like it's a mix of getting better in your skill level and and the camaraderie. Am I getting that right from you, Sabrina? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of, you know, staying in a sport long-term, I, for me personally, there, that's something that I'm really drawn to and especially when you're spending so much of your time doing an activity you know if you're curling you know 10 20 hours a week you want to be enjoying whatever sport you pick right you know some sports you know 35 hours a week of training like you want to be really you want to be happy with that decision right so uh, for me personally having a blend of the kind of camaraderie and then the challenge and the enjoyment are things that I personally think are important now, you've had an opportunity, I don't know when, it, maybe it started, maybe when you were a, a competitive junior, you've had opportunities to teach kids and be on the <laughs> other side uh, of the whistle. I guess I, I don't know, I just became, came up with that. <laughs> but uh, we don't even use whistles. I don't know of anyone who uses whistle in curling. But uh, <laughs> did you help out with your junior program at Oakville? Is that uh, fair to say? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I I definitely did. Uh, I started volunteering with their Little Rocks program when I was 13, which (laughs) looking back is kind of funny that they would entrust children to watch over and teach children. And I was also helping um, volunteering with, you know, open houses and clinics for adults as well. Right. and looking back, it's just it's funny to think that they would trust 13-year-olds, but I'm thankful they did because it was something that was really valuable for me in terms of my own personal development, being able to instruct and gain those skills and that just, you know, the confidence in speaking in front of people, instructing people, um, helping people to improve their technique, grow. Uh, those are things that I really enjoy and I get a lot of fulfillment out of watching other people develop. And yeah, no, I was really lucky that I was able to volunteer with that program right through, I mean, pretty much until I left for university is when I um, kind of stopped uh, helping with their program every weekend. So what was it like being on the other side, being the instructor? Did you, 
develop some empathy with what your instructors went through? <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, as you know, I'm sure most people listening know kids, you know, are, they're so unique and they're so different and everybody kind of plays their own way and everybody has their own quirks and their own personalities and just really kind of learning how to work with different kinds of people, um, different skill sets, different, as I said, you know, personalities, if somebody's having a bad day, if somebody's having a great day. Um, yeah, definitely gained some appreciation for um, coaches who were able to kind of balance those things really well. Is there a particular kid that comes to mind? Oh, I'm sure I could think of a couple if I, if I really of, tried. Of course, we're not going to name <laughs> names, but you know, I'm always curious. Like, there are kids that yeah. you work with that always you'll never Stick forget. With you, yeah, no, there, there are definitely a couple. There were a few um, younger ones who were. It was kind of a combination of like the really silly ones you were, you mm-hmm. always remember, right? And then the ones who were, you know, really serious, really diligent, really like they were, they were pleasant and they were nice, but they, you know, had a goal and they were wanting to work towards something. And I think, yeah, I definitely remember a good handful of different kinds of uh, kids from coaching. This is a coach to coach question then. I have this theory. Maybe it's not a theory. I just want to know what other people's experiences are. Because you hear about the stories of the kid that was super dedicated to the sport, even as a like a six-year-old, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they, they knew they wanted to go to the Olympics as, as early as that. And then you have like kids that, you know, kind of dragged to the curling club and maybe are silly. But what's weird is that sometimes it's the silly kids that stick around with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is that something... Uh, you've seen in individual curlers that you've worked with? Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely a handful of the, you know, some of the curlers who were just recreational curlers and, you know, there's nothing wrong with just wanting to go out and, you know, enjoy your afternoons, right? Like it doesn't have to be competitive for everybody, or at least that's my, like, you know, not everybody has to compete, right? You can enjoy the sport um, at a recreational level and that's okay. Um, But yeah, they were definitely, um, a handful of kids who kind of went through the program up through juniors, even who, you know, were just recreationally enjoying their time there. Yeah. No, I just remember a couple of kids who you would never, (laughs) you, yeah. If you had to pick which kids would like be competitive, join competitive teams, Mm -hmm. like these were the silly kids and it never seemed like they took it seriously. And then they grow. And then it's like, yeah. oh, uh, so you are taking this seriously after all. Yeah, there are definitely a couple of those ones as well, right? When they kind of, when you watch that kind of switch flip mm-hmm. in their head and they kind of just have that moment of, you know, sometimes it's, you know, maybe after a summer break or maybe it's after Christmas or after a competition and they come back and they're like, okay, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing this now, right? So right. I'm sure, I'm sure we've both probably seen that happen, so. Yeah. Well, what was what was the rewarding part of coaching kids for you? I genuinely just one of my maybe one of if not one of my favorite things just in life as a whole is to really just watch people grow and I love watching that moment when something just clicks and you know the athlete just understands a concept or a technique like I love being able to be a part of that process and developing their skills, whether it's, 
whether it's a technical skill, whether it's an interpersonal skill, just watching that light bulb go off is something that I, it almost feels selfish how much I enjoy just watching that growth happen. I I love it. Again, is there a specific light bulb moment that you saw in person and it still may stick with you? Yeah, uh, I've seen, um, because I've coached kind of novices through to kind of high level um, junior players, um, I've kind of seen a range of, you know, whether it's somebody who finally figured out how to, you know, they've gone 45 minutes and can't stay upright, and then they finally are able to make that slide, right, Ah. with your coaching, Um, or whether it's, you know, you're trying to help them with their release and they're dumping all the rocks and you finally get them to throw it and they make the shot. Um, and then they're able to repeat that and actually feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a couple and it kind of ranges between absolute novice to kind of more higher right. level pieces. Yeah. And I guess the flip side of this is what are some of the challenges you have teaching that age group? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the downsides to, teaching kids. I mean, it's kind of the fun part about teaching kids, but it can also be challenging, um, is keeping them on task, keeping them engaged in whatever you're working on. Um, I think the balance of keeping them engaged is something that is definitely a challenge because you kind of have to balance fun with, you know, skill acquisition with kind of instilling that confidence in them. Uh, because you know, like when, like you have to know that you can do it in order to do it. Right. So I'm kind of trying to blend all that together while the kids are still enjoying themselves. Right. Um, that's something that's probably for me, that's probably the challenge, but it's also kind of the, you know, the positive challenge. And the thing that's kind of makes coaching fun is kind of finding those ways to make it interesting and engaging. Yeah. I mean, at some level, if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it. I know that's a cliche, but you know, there is some reward to seeing someone get it. Uh, yeah. And yeah, no, I, I completely hear you, Sabrina. Sabrina, what was the most fun uh, about curling for you as a kid? I think for me, the most fun part was the friendships that I made and a lot of the most fun parts were times that we had off ice, whether it was in a competition, whether it was, you know, after our little rocks program, we would stay and paint our nails together in the ladies oh. change room. Um, just, just kind of really kind of building <laughs> friendships. It was, that was a piece that was just probably the most fun for me as a kid um, with curling, you know, kind of those social friendship pieces. Wow. Uh, It's the first time I've heard that. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) As a coach, uh, as a fellow coach. Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges for the listeners is to uh, try and make practices fun and interesting. Uh, It's always a challenge kids, right? So Mm -hmm. do you have any strategies or tips for the listeners? How, how can we make our lesson plans and our, our Sunday practices uh, more engaging for the kids? Yeah, I, I think it kind of depends on the goals of the kids that you're coaching, right? Are they competitive or are they just looking to enjoy their practice and they're not really looking to be, you know, the next Jen Jones? Um, I think, 
that kind of looking at the group that you have in front of you that day and making, you know, making a practice plan that's malleable so that, you know, you may want to as with, you know, your U15 boys team, but if they go out that day and they just want to throw the rock really hard, you know, maybe that's the day you run some peels, you know? Right. Um, I, I think, I think finding a way you, like you eventually have to do the guards and maybe later in the practice or whatever, once they get their fill of <laughs> throwing the rocks. <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel that finding a balance and kind of playing into what your particular team is looking for, because there are different coaching styles and different athletes have different preferences for coaching styles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just really kind of looking at the athletes you have in front of them and making a plan that fits their needs and their goals. So if they're, you know, recreational curlers and they're not, you know, it'd be nice if they could throw a perfect come around, but if they are just out to have fun, right? you know, maybe play crazy eights if they want to play crazy eights, you know, um, maybe find more fun ways to, um, practice different shots. You know, if you always use the same drills for your techniques, maybe try a different drill for a different skill, or maybe do it in a game scenario, um, with full sweepers and a skip at the other end, instead of just having the coach holding the broom and throwing a come around. Right. So kind of finding ways to integrate the skills in ways that are enjoyable for the group that you have in front of you. I think those are, um, important pieces for making it fun so that, you know, the kids want to stick around. Sabrina, do you have a go-to drill? I think it would probably depend on what, uh, <laughs> what I was looking to train. Uh, but there's definitely a handful of them over the years, right? You know, there's that book of, <laughs> yeah. that book of drills that I'm crazy sure eights, people have seen. Yeah. Crazy eights, pop the weasel, you know, come around the guard, like throw a guard, do a come around. Yep. That one's actually, I actually personally kind of enjoy that one. Um, <laughs> okay. Cause it's, I, I think it's a good one for kind of practicing that weight control adjustment. Um, that's when it's not like an exciting drill. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it's a nice one. Also, uh, some sweeping drills, right. um, taking two rocks and kind of sweeping up, um, holding onto the rocks and practicing your footwork. I think sweeping something that's overlooked for a lot of curlers. Um, so if you can, you know, find ways to make sweeping more engaging, more exciting, um, especially for front end players, that's, you know, 75% of their game, right? So right. making sure you're training the pieces that are important for them. Um, yeah, there's a couple like that sweeping drill where you've got a hand on each, yep. you know, two rocks and you're practicing footwork. That's one that I kind of enjoy. And we had to, um, I know when my coaches at U of T had us doing it a different like split time. So, okay, you're going to sweep a guard. Okay. Now you're going to sweep a peel and kind of working on that footwork at different speeds is something that I it, like it's fun. It's almost silly when you're trying the peel. <laughs> like, try to like someone's going to throw a six second peel. Now you're going to try to sweep it, but kind of that challenge, like it's almost right. so silly, but it, it makes it fun. Um, and yeah, I, I find that some of the team drills are really satisfying when they're made. Mm. Um, so things that involve, you know, full sweepers and a skip calling. Um, those are some that I find fun too. Cause then you kind of get that, that game environment in a practice with those ones and you kind of have to work together. Um, I find those ones nice too. 
I can only imagine doing that sweeping drill and you're asked to do like the footwork of a peel and <laughs> you're literally, that's like 84 pounds of rocks you're trying to bring with you at the same time. And you're time. like giggling, <laughs> the rocks pick up momentum, but then, you know, you hit the hog line and then you've got to try to slow Stop them. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Sabrina, you did mention uh, coaching styles earlier, just mm-hmm. maybe a few minutes earlier, but yeah. what's your coaching style if you had to define it? That's a good question. I think my coaching style is probably, um, I, I mean, I would like to think it is both technical while also being kind of mindful of the athletes I'm working with and kind of their abilities and their goals. Um, that's something that's really important to me is making sure that whatever I'm doing isn't just generic and that it's catered to the needs and wants of the people in front of me. Right. So if they're, you know, 13, 14 wanting to, you know, go into their first competition. Okay. Then, you know, we're going to focus a bit more, really kind of look at, you know, what are their strengths? Where could they use a bit more work and kind of work in a way that's beneficial to them. Right. Um, But, you know, you want to make it fun too, right? Like you want to make it, you know, it can be serious, but it can also be lighthearted as well. Um, And I think kind of striking that balance is something that I personally enjoy. For me personally, it's kind of just a mixture of, uh, I'm really big on kind of building the basics of technique um, because like, and there's different schools of thought, right? Some people think, you know, play and you'll kind of work through them. Some people go technique first and then once it's nailed down, then you kind of go from there. Um, I think there's a benefit to both. Um, personally, I, I do enjoy getting technique, you know, sound enough that you can be kind of competent in a game. Right. Um, because if it's not, if you're playing and you're losing, then it's not fun. Right. And so if you're competing and you're losing, then you might not stick around. Right. Or if you're looking to compete and win it, you, you want to have some success. And so I think building enough, um, kind of skills and kind of technical base that people can grow from. Um, and then while making it fun, um, is kind of my personal goal while coaching. Right. Um, just so that they have like, ideally you really want to instill that confidence in them, um, that they're capable of it. And part of that is, you know, showing them that they're able to do it in a practice. So kind of making sure they have those chances to do whatever they need to do um, in practice so that they can feel good about it going into the game. Are, are you looking at the coach in the future? Is that an option for you or something you see yourself doing? I personally would love to get back into instructing and coaching. I did get my comp coach certificate or not certified, I'm trained, Um a couple of years back before I was an assistant at Trillium and I, I would really love to kind of reach out to, I've recently moved uh, to Belleville and I would love to be able to kind of reach out to the local clubs and, you know, see if they're looking for any help with their, you know, local junior programs. Um, Cause I, I really do miss coaching and I'd love to get back into it. I'm sure they'd love to have you or any club would love to have you any club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always looking for volunteers <laughs> yeah hey you know let's put it out there it, it's uh it's if you volunteer yourself to any club they'll probably take you it's, uh, uh but uh, as long as we keep the the well-being of the kids in mind that uh, you know that that's yeah. we can teach you the we can teach you all the technical stuff later 
Well, Sabrina, yeah, I wanted to uh, give you a chance to talk about your involvement with Team Portugal. I guess mm-hmm. I'm calling it Team Portugal. You, you're representing yeah. <laughs> the country. I, I have to give credit where it's due. There was a great article uh, on the Insaga website, and that's where I read the story. And I, I encourage people, uh, if they want to learn more about the, the story, to read it. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But yeah, you were supposed to be uh, curling in Aberdeen this fall. Could you, could mm-hmm. you give us an update to what's, what's happened with that event? Yeah, so um, the October 2020 um, last fall was canceled due to COVID. It was kind of the height of COVID. Um, and then this fall uh, was supposed to happen. And then unfortunately, we've received news in the last couple of weeks that uh, World Mixed has been canceled once again. Uh, so we're hoping, keeping our fingers very crossed for uh, next fall's uh, world's World Mixed. Right. Have you curled as a team at a, like a world event yet? I, I am not. Sh- I wasn't sure about that at all. No, no, we haven't yet. Um, because of the nature, essentially, the team was formed uh, late February 2020. Ah, um, which, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the worst, kind of like the least ideal timing for this to have right. gone down. Uh, just with the way, obviously, as everyone knows, the COVID has gone down in March um, in North America. And yeah, so unfortunately we haven't just been competitions really throughout um, really much of Canada uh, in the last year or year and a half or so. Uh, So we haven't been able to yet, uh, but it is something that we are looking to do and something we're looking forward to doing once um, it is safe to do so. Yeah. So there's been no announcement about say a 2022 event yet? I believe uh, there is one scheduled, okay. from my understanding. Um, but yeah, I guess time will will tell. Well, Sabrina, thank you for joining me tonight. And I, I always like to. This is a series about how competitive curlers found their love of the sport as a kid. So I like to end off with what I call the big question. So here it go. Here we go. How do we get kids to fall in love with the sport of curling and get them to stay with it for the long term? I think one of the things that, well, I think there's a couple pieces to it, but personally, I think that like having, you know, having some skill level in the sport is helpful so that people feel confident in their abilities and kind of grow that personal confidence in themselves. So you feel good while you're curling. I think that's important. I think the social connections are important. Curling's a game that's, um, it's really special in a way that you are able to really form those connections and friendships with your teammates and the other people that you're, you know, playing with every weekend. Um, and I think that, you know, being able to build both, you know, curling skills and also kind of off ice kind of interpersonal skills um, are pieces that I think will help kids stay in the sport long-term. And then, you know, if you can get them to a point where they're having competitive success, that's a bonus. And if they can do it in a way that's kind of healthy and sustainable for them, uh, then, you know, you're going to want to stick around long-term. But I think that for a long, long long-term, like talking like, you know, kind of full life in the sport, um, I think just having, you know, enough skills that you can enjoy playing and then building the friendships in order to kind of enjoy your your time because you do spend a lot of time um curling when you're competing and i think if you enjoy the people that you're with 
uh, the people you play with, people you play against, your coaches. Um, I think that's a really big part in having kids fall in love with the sport and sticking around for the long term. This is just a question that popped to my head. Who, who's the long, other than, of course, your siblings, that doesn't count. Who's mm-hmm. your longest friend? Who's your longest running friend in curling? Who, who's the person you remember who's been your friend ever since, I don't know, year one of curling? Uh, Justin Murphy's probably year one. Um, also, um, a couple others that we're kind of still family friends with, like um, Jen and Adria Whale. Um, my boyfriend I met while we were curling as kids. Um, his mom's actually Dolores McCallum. I know you had her on a podcast a couple right. months ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, my boyfriend, um, Justin, there's a handful of people who I'm still quite close with all, after all these years. Yeah, no, that's a testament to, I met my wife curling, by the way. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> I hear you. I know. Uh, and, you spend uh, a lot of time with them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, hey, listen to episode, I can't remember the number, but it was the Valentine's Day one. If you, if any of the listeners want to know how I met my wife at the curling club, that's... <laughs> Yeah, it was a topic of one of my episodes. Uh, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, If people want to get in touch with you or uh, want to know what you're up to, uh, what's the best way they can uh, do that? Yeah, so they can uh, find me on Twitter at Sabrina Rebo. They can find me on Instagram at Mindful Kinesiology. It's a page um, where I share information about sports. Um, Once I become re-registered in Ontario, kinesiology kind of health and exercise tips. Um, yeah, you kind of find me in different places online. Okay. That's great. And we'll have that in our show notes. Sabrina, thanks again for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Take care. So that was my interview with Sabrina. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by kids curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.